tonight, we're going to kick off and get back in gear on Wednesday nights. I'm going to kind of set the stage for where we're going to go through the month of September. Before we get there, let me just remind you, especially men in the house, uh, you thought dinner was good tonight. Wait till you show up tomorrow night for Momentum Meats. We have not just your normal hamburger. We have grass pasture fed and raised beef that was raised in Piedmont, Oklahoma. You know it's the best soil on the planet, right? And uh, this poor cow, man, he's been eating his life out just to get fat for our Momentum Meats. And he has been slaughtered and offered on the uh, altar of sacrifice so that we can find Jesus and introduce our ones to him. So it is legitimately good hamburger tomorrow night. It will be cooked. It is, uh, is going to be prepared. And uh, it will be a fantastic night. Brother Sean's bringing in uh, a, a man who has traveled the world with him sharing the gospel. He has played in the NFL. And believe it or not, he's bigger than maybe both of us combined. He's a big old dude with a big old heart and a big old message. And so, men, if you can be here tomorrow night, we want you to sign up. You can go on the app, register just like you did for Wednesday night meal, and join us tomorrow evening. It will be a great, great kickoff and another opportunity for us to reach someone with the gospel. Now, we're going to talk about tonight, it is our responsibility to reach that person. Uh, Forever in the church, we've been inviting people to the church when we should be inviting them to Christ but still there are opportunities to place them under the word to allow them to hear a gospel message and so we want you uh, to take advantage of that tomorrow night then this Sunday this next Sunday coming up here in a few days we will be having a special uh, Bible conference on Sunday Wendell Lang a good friend of mine and many of you may know he was the former pastor of Surrey Hills Baptist Church he also is the son-in-law of Larry Adams who is a legend here in our church and in our state. Uh, Larry was instrumental after years of pastoring at Emmanuel and Shawnee and Lake Eufaula at First Baptist and then running the Baptist Retirement Village that some of you may have some familiarity with. Uh, Brother Larry and Ed Ween have been longtime members. Of course, Ed Ween has gone to be at the Lord. But uh, their son-in-law, Wendell, will be preaching Sunday morning and bringing us a challenge about how can we reach someone with the gospel, not just when we're here on this earth, but even when we're gone, that we, did you realize that your legacy can still make an impact way beyond your lifetime? And that's going to kind of be our focus throughout the day. We'll come back at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You're going to be hearing some powerful testimonies. You'll be hearing from a young widow. She happens to be, I believe, probably in her young 40s. Her husband was called to First Southern Dell City, where Bailey Smith was pastor for so many years. And many of you know about the ministry of First Southern. And Shane Hall, a great friend of mine, uh, died of stomach cancer just not too long ago. And you're going to be hearing her story, but how they were ready for that and how his legacy is still impacting people's lives to this very day. It'll be a very inspirational uh, Sunday, and I hope that you will schedule that out for your day. Let's get back into getting in the Word, and let's get back to being equipped to be who God has called us to be, to reach the lost. And that's really what I want to set up for tonight, because... We're going to spend all of September equipping you with a way to engage someone with the gospel. Now we know when Jesus lived on this earth, when he left his throne in heaven, he took on flesh and came to this earth, that he proclaimed the reason he did that. He didn't do that to establish a new religion. He didn't do that so that now there could be this new thing called Wednesday night meals and holy chicken sandwiches. That's not why Jesus came to this earth, just so we'd have a country club of faith. He came, he said, and you know this, it's super simple, and yet we've gotten away from the simple. Jesus said, I have come 
to seek and to save the lost. Now let me ask you a question. Did Jesus accomplish his task? Let's give the Sunday school answer. What would you say in Sunday school? What would you say so you get a pat on the head and a little star on the chart? What would you say? Yes, he accomplished the task. Another question. Has he finished that task? No. He is still seeking and saving the lost. He gave his life for you and for me when we were lost in our sin and for others who still do not know him as Lord and Savior. And so let me ask you this. If Jesus did that while he was living on this earth, where is Jesus today? Well, take your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Now, you know the answer, but let's just find it in God's word. Where is Jesus now? While he lived on this earth, he came to seek and save the lost. Paul, speaking to the believers in Ephesus, brings us verse 18. Paul's prayer for them, believers, he's writing to believers. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. In other words, opened up. Did you know that we can be blind? Even though we were blinded before we were saved, the Bible says the God, the God of this world, Satan, is blinding our minds. We're going to spend all of September talking about how you can help a blind person see their need for Jesus. And we are blinded in our lostness and in our sin, but even after we come to know the Lord, even after our eyes have been opened to the God of salvation, we can still have a hard time seeing what we need to see. So Paul, who is speaking to those whose eyes have been opened to salvation, is praying for the eyes of their heart. Look at what he prays for. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you will know what is the hope of his calling. I hope when you're in the Word of God that you take notes. I hope that you don't have that, uh, that phobia that several generations ago had that you couldn't mark in that book because it was this holy book. Uh, I would tell you God wants that book in your heart. He wants his word there with you. And if all you do is read words on a page, all it is is another book. But as you get into the word of God, I hope you would take time to start circling key things and marking things up and digging and digesting. We call it pondering on the truths of God. As I look at that, one of the things I have to look at is what was he praying for? One, for my eyes to be open. I need to pray daily. God, open my eyes to see what I need to see. He was praying that for the church in Ephesus. I pray that for the church at PCBC. God, open our eyes. To what? To the hope of his, what are you circling there? His what? His calling. Now, when we see that word calling there, we need to see that calling. It, it, when we think about the call of God, there are two dimensions to God's calling. The first calling is Jesus calling you out of your sin and to him as Savior. That's the first calling. But these people that he's writing to, they've already experienced that calling. Their eyes have already been open to that. They knew that they were sinners. They knew that they were lost. They knew that they needed the blood of Jesus to cover their sin. And they needed a new life and a second birthday. And they have given their life to Christ. So why is he praying for them to understand his calling? They've already experienced it. Well, they've experienced one dimension of his calling. But is it possible that what was happening in the church in Ephesus is happening in the church in America today? Is it possible that we who have been called into a relationship with Christ are blinded to our calling that he gives us after we've been saved? I pray that he would open your eyes to know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? 
We need to see this calling. This calling not to salvation, we've seen it. But what is this calling? This calling is to our new life calling, what we now live out because we have been called into relationship with Christ. And in that, that new calling is a life of the ministry of reconciliation. We talk about it all the time, but are we experiencing that calling? Are we living in that calling? I wrote a note here that says, Many see their need to be saved, but few of the saved see their calling to seek those who need to be saved. Did you hear what I just said? Let me read it again. Many see our need to be saved. You saw that. God opened your eyes. You saw the light. And you trusted Christ. You saw that calling. But those after they received that calling to Christ, very few see their calling to seek out those who need to be saved. Look at verse 19. He goes on and says, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Jesus died for our sins so that we could be called into a relationship. And after Jesus walked this earth, walked all the way to Calvary, walked to a cross, died for your sin and mine, was buried in a tomb, what did God do next? Was the mission done? Was the mission, he accomplished his task on how people could be saved, but he is still living out that task in this very, he is still seeking to save those who are lost. So what happens next? He's raised from the dead. And he is what? Seated at the right hand in heavenly places. As we look in here in verse 21, it goes on to say, as he is seated in those heavenly places, he is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named, only in this age, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So as we look at this passage as Paul's teaching, he gives us that history lesson again, and he reminds us that Jesus left his throne for a reason and for a task, for a purpose, that he came to seek and save the lost. So he leaves his throne in heaven, he takes on flesh, is born in a manger, lives that perfect life, calls the 12 disciples, and he carries out the task of seeking and saving the lost. And that took him all the way to a cross. After he accomplished that task and has died for the sins of the world, he's then resurrected from the dead and he returns to his throne. Now, what's the purpose of a throne? What, what is a throne? What's the uniqueness of a throne in the chair you're sitting on? What's the difference? A throne is for a king. A throne is where the king rules over his kingdom. What we're reminded of is Jesus as Messiah came to pay the penalty for our sin, but he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he is still ruling today, ruling and reigning from his throne. So we know he lives on a throne in heaven, ruling over all this, ruling over his kingdom that he calls you and I to seek first every day, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else is added to us. But where else does Jesus live? Go to Ephesians chapter 3, flip over a little ways and Paul uh, expands the territory, if you will. Get to Ephesians 3 and verse 14. It says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you. Now, who's he writing to? Who's, same audience. He's still teaching them. He's still equipping them, the believers at Ephesus, the believers at PCBC. 
that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Not only is Jesus sovereign and ruling from heaven on his throne, but Jesus also has established his throne on your heart when you place your faith in Christ. It's not a head knowledge that Jesus is the king. It is when we make him king of our hearts. It's with the heart we believe that we are saved. And so there are these thrones that Jesus sits on. One is at the right hand of the Father. The other is in the heart that you have, this new heart, not the blood-pumping organ that maybe isn't pumping as good as it should be. It's talking about the spirit of you. Inside of you, Christ dwells in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is ruling and reigning in your heart. So, yes, he's in heaven. Praise God he's alive and he isn't just dead on a cross. He is alive and he reigns from a throne in heaven. And yet at the same time, because God is all that he is, he also lives today in this heart and in your heart. And what I would say to you, my argument tonight is this, is what Jesus lived out on this planet over 2,000 years ago is the same thing Jesus is trying to live out on this planet today, and he's just doing it through your heart and through mine, through your story and my story. His task is still alive. He still is seeking to save the lost, but you know how he's chosen to do that? By forgiving you of your sin and invading your heart, giving you a new life and a new calling. Christ alive in us so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you would be filled up to all the fullness of God. Paul was trying to equip them to understand their calling. May God open the eyes of your heart that you would know this calling. Why did Jesus come to live in your heart? To give you power over sin, yes. To give you a new life, yes. But also to give you a new calling. A calling that he would live out through you, through the spirit-filled life, to continually seek and save the lost. So the enemy who hates God and his callings, what does he fight against? The first calling. He does everything he can to keep you blinded to the gospel. He's doing everything he can in this world to blind the minds of those who don't believe, to rob them of that calling. And then... For those, such as yourself, when you come to that moment when God reveals who he is and opens your eyes and you trust Christ, the enemy can't touch that. Matter of fact, Jesus said nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. That calling is eternal, it is safe, and it is secure. But in the hand of God, God now chooses to use you to carry out and continue his task to seek and save the lost. So where do you think the enemy attacks in a believer's life? He tries to rob us of our calling. He tries to blind us to the reality of what God wants to do through our story. We think God just wants to take us to heaven one day and, oh, we love God because God so loved us. He saved us from hell and from our sin. And, yes, that is true. But God saved you for a glorious purpose, for a future and for a hope. And that's to be a part of this unique passion of God to seek and save the lost. Jesus, who lives in your heart, is still seeking the lost. But my question is, are we? Are we blinded to the calling? Are we just going through life doing the Christian thing, or are we letting Christ do his thing? And I know we have a passion for the lost. I know we declare that, and I know we desire for this world to know Christ. 
I know that we're praying for them. I know we pray for the lost. I know we've got the ping pong balls out there. We're praying for them. I know that that is a passion. We want to see people saved, do we not? Then why aren't people being saved? Well, this, they kicked God out of our schools. That's why people aren't being saved. Was God in the schools of Jerusalem when Jesus walked on this earth? We can go after excuse after excuse after excuse and say this is the reason our nation is dying and going to hell. And I would say we got to look in the mirror. I would tell you I've had to look in the mirror. I would tell you our staff, we've had to look in the mirror. We know our calling. We know that the lost need to be saved. We pray for the lost to be saved. But God desires to work through your heart, where he lives, where he's on that throne, to do what he did 2,000 years ago, to continually seek and to save the lost. Go to Romans 10. Again, this is just a foundational sermon. These won't necessarily be eye-opening, but they will open our eyes as we connect all the dots. In Romans chapter 10, Paul is teaching the believers in Rome, and he is giving them these simple truths. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be Baptists. Is that what he said? They shall be saved. There you see it again. God's mission alive to seek and to save the lost. Are there people today that still need to be saved? Of course there are. Are there people who live right next door to you in a neighborhood that need to be saved? Yes. Now, they may be convinced that they don't need to be. They may be trying to convince you they're okay. And that they're, but there are people around us every day that need to be saved. People that God is seeking. And that's why he placed you where he placed you. Because you are the missionary to that piece of turf on this planet. So how does, people, how, does, how does the Lord seek to save people today? Look at verse 14. So Paul says, then how will they call on him? Now if they have to call on him to be saved, how will they call on him if they haven't believed? Well, duh. And then he asks another simple question. How will they believe in him who they've not heard? If they haven't heard... The truth, how can they respond to the truth? And then he asks the follow-up question. And how will they hear without a preacher? You see it in verse 14? Don't circle it and put a note in your Bible and say, man, I need to pray for Pastor Bill. I need to pray for Pastor Sean. Man, I need to pray for our staff. My neighbor needs a preacher. And don't call me and call Brother Sean and say, man, will you get over here? My neighbor is a heathen and needs to hear the gospel. Preacher. Preacher, how many calls have I gotten before? Preacher, come here, come here, come talk to my neighbor. We're going to break that down in a minute. Verse 15, so how will they preach unless they are what? Say it, I know it hurts you. I know, I know you know where we're going. Unless they are sent, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Why are people not being saved today in America? Because people are not hearing the word of God. Why are they not hearing the word of God? Don't point at me. Well, yeah, you can. You can point at me. Be real honest. I spend most of my time up here at the church building. God help me get out of the building because he has sent all of us. But not just me and not just the pastoral staff that you guys have been so gracious and so kind to call to lead you as shepherds. It's not the preachers that 
Paul's talking about. Who is he talking about? Well, in our vernacular, a preacher is that guy that preaches a sermon to me on Sunday morning. That's our definition of a preacher. Hey, preacher. I've almost grown to not really like that word. I love doing what I get to do. But the reason I don't like the word is because what it has become in our culture, in our church, not PCB, I'm talking about the church in America. The preacher became the hired gun that comes in and does the preaching, and we invite people to church, and we bring them to church, and we hope they get saved, and we pray for them to get saved, and we call that being sent. No, that's inviting people. He said, you've been sent to preach. So let's, let's look at the context of this word, preacher. I wish it would have been translated to this word, which if you do a Greek word search on this preacher word, it literally means herald. We've looked at that before. Now, that's not Pastor Harold, Harry, old Harry. We, we, we called a preacher Bill. That's our mistake. We need a herald in the pulpit. No, that's not what he's talking about. H-E-R-A-L-D. What is a herald? A herald is one who serves the king and is given a message from the king to proclaim to the people. They didn't have Facebook back then. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have ways of posting. They didn't have connection points. You know what their connection point was? A herald. And if king had to get a message out to his kingdom, he would call his heralds in, and these, were, these heralds were people of great fitness, a great calling, had to risk their life. We might get it in the West as the Pony Express, but they didn't get ponies. They didn't have horses. They didn't have the, they ran to the cities, the villages, the, the, the kingdom. And throughout the kingdom, they would run in and they would yell out to the whole town the message of the king. That is what is pictured here by Paul. God has called you to himself. And in that calling, you became a new person, a new creation, and he created you to be a herald. To proclaim the good news from the king. Now, there were times Harold may have to bring a message that the enemy was coming. He may go out to give warning and, and deliver a, a message of alarm. But most of the time, that Harold was delivering the message of victory. Many of them had sent their sons to battles and to war. And again, they don't have the news to skew the reality of what was going on in the war, but they don't know if they're winning, if they're losing. They don't know if their sons have died, where it stands. And that day that they wake up and that herald comes running into their town and says, the war has been won. Our sons are returning home. It was good news and the people celebrated that they had victory over the enemy. Isn't it awesome that God has called you to be a herald? Let me tell you how good it is. Look at verse 15 again. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as is written, how beautiful are the the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, I'll just tell you, I'll just be straight up honest. Feet are nasty, am I right? Any Feet are nasty, nappy, grungy. Don't even get a foot around me. I don't, unless it's a foot-long chili dog. Then it's a different story. But feet are nasty. But here it says feet are beautiful. Now, how can feet all of a sudden go from being nasty to being beautiful. Well, when you realize that your feet are what I call now, and I didn't, this is a new term for me, holy ubers. 
You know what a holy Uber is? Not goobers. We've been holy goobers. What's a holy Uber? An Uber is a vehicle that you can summon up that will take you where you need to go. You know why God gave you feet? Not so you could stink up the room as you get home from work or get home late at night and peel the shoes off. He gave them to you to be your mode of transportation. Your feet take you where God leads you and sends you to be a herald. You can't get there without your feet. The problem is our feet have been taking us to church on Sunday morning, but haven't been taking us to the world on Saturday, Monday through Saturday. Do you see it? Holy Ubers. Help me, Rhonda. You think your feet are taking you to the store. No, he's taking you to declare good news. You think your feet are taking you to the post office. Now, why you let your feet take you there, I have no idea. But if you want to go there, you go there. But I will tell you, the Holy Spirit would be taking you there for one reason, to deliver his mail, to deliver his messages, to deliver the truth and the word. And he's going to intersect your path, and you get a chance to talk to somebody. So just look in this room. Let's just start with Wednesday night, a, a fraction of Sunday morning. If everyone in this room today had a God conversation with somebody, uh, if we were our, the heralds we are called to be today, think about how many people would have come under the exposure of the gospel today. Now, question. You don't have to answer out loud. How many of us had a God conversation today? How many of us had beautiful feet. How many of us got to talk to somebody and say, hey, man, this is what God's doing. Do you know the Lord? Where are you at with the Lord? Have we had those God conversations? Well, in September, we're going to teach you how to do that, how to be a herald and go fishing for the lost. Now, I grew up and had the privilege of every summer going to my grandparents that lived on Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri, most beautiful lake on planet Earth. It was an awesome experience. My grandparents lived right in a cove on that beautiful lake, and, and as a little kid, when I was even probably too little, I got to operate my grandpa's little aluminum fishing boat. Had a little Johnson & Johnson motor on the end of it, or Johnson motor, well, I think it's Johnson & Johnson. I don't care, it just moved, it just propelled the boat. I got in the boat all by myself. I got my fishing pole, I got my lures, he showed me what lures to use, and I went fishing for bass. Nothing like catching a bass. It's awesome. And so I picked up tools like this. Anybody know what this is? It's a lure. Just for you ladies in the audience. It's a lure. Purpose, <laughs> purpose of the lure is to catch fish. Now, do you know how many catfish I've caught on this lure? Anybody want to take a guess how many catfish I've caught on this lure? Excuse me? I'm a professional. I grew up at an early age. My grandpa taught me how to fish for fish. Why'd you say I caught none? Because you don't catch catfish with this. This is top water. You catch big bass and crappie and stuff, probably more bass than anything else on this. Catching catfish, you got to go to the bottom. And you need stink bait. There's them feet again. You got to use the bait. But here's the deal. The tackle box doesn't have one lure in it. The tackle box has multiple baits because there's multiple ways of reaching people. Let me give you some bait real quick, and we're going to go to a time of prayer. Let me give you some different bait. Number one, the main lure that we're equipping this body of believers with used to be that we would equip you with faith evangelism or 
CWT, some of you may remember, or using a track or the Roman road. And all those things are valuable tools and can be another lure in the box. But our main lure here at PCBC is teaching the body of Christ how to tell God's story through your story. It's very simple. The testimony, the story God's given you, that is the greatest lure you have. Learn to share your story. Brother Sean's going through all of our small groups, all of our ABFs, teaching them how to write that story, what their life was like before Christ, how they found Christ, and what their life is like now in Christ. Very simple, and it's what the Apostle Paul used often and is modeled in Acts chapter 26. It is a powerful, powerful tool. Matter of fact, it was the lure that God allowed me to use with my own father to lead him to the Lord before he went to go see the Lord. He wouldn't have seen the Lord face to face if he had not been able to hear the gospel through my story. It was the only lure that he was willing to bite on. He wasn't biting on the preacher at the church. He wasn't biting on the typical things that we might look at. But man, he couldn't resist reading the story of his boy. Don't underestimate your story. And how many opportunities do we have every single day just to talk about what God's done in our life? Not preaching at him. Now, I know it says we need a preacher for him to hear. Remember, it's herald. And every day you have a chance to herald the story, to just speak forth the story. He gives you somebody every day. I promise you, every single day, there's somebody you can share that story with. It's simple. Do it. The second one, I call it listening evangelism. Another little lure is being ready and knowing where the fish are. Coolest thing that ever happened is I grew up. I didn't grow up. Uh, all I grew up is my grandpa showed me the cove. He showed me the route. He showed me where mainly the fish were because he had fished it so much. And he told me where to hit, and, and, and I was pretty successful. And then my generation, depth finder. Woo, life was awesome. Little dots started beeping on the screen and showed me where they were, and I picked them off. It would show me where they were. Well, you know what? The Holy Spirit is your depth finder. If you will learn to tune into that Holy Spirit leadership, if you let him lead you through the day, all of a sudden there will be bleeps that pop up on the screen. Instead of somebody that's a pain in the neck in the line at the shopping market, all of a sudden they'll bleep. Instead of a neighbor that irritates you because they won't cut the grass right, they'll start bleeping. All of a sudden, somebody who's waiting on you, and they're not doing a very good job with your table, instead of you blessing them out in Jesus' name, not blessing them, but blessing them out, there'll be a bleeper that starts going off. Not to cover your mouth and the words that you think you want to say, but to show you that that is the one that needs to hear the message. So listening to evangelism, how do you use that lure? Well, be alert. Look at what's going on in the news. Study up what's in the news, because guess what people talk about? What's going on today? What are people talking? What have we talked about for the last 18 months? Help me, help me. COVID. Always a conversation about COVID, and it's all kinds of different angles on COVID. Instead of getting sick and tired about it, what if we use that as an open door to the gospel? You say, how's that an open door to the gospel? Well, I'll give you an example in a minute. What's going on in their life? Well, as you're having conversations with people and talking with people, you'll hear what they're talking about. Guess what they're talking about? The vaccine. You've been vaccinated, man. Do you think they ought to mandate the vaccine? Or well, what about this? And we're talking, and we got all kinds. Of, you know how many people have turned into doctors all of a sudden through COVID? 
We all are prescribing something. And so use those conversations. Instead of arguing about the vaccine, use it to your advantage. Reel them in through the conversation. How does that look? What do you do with it? Somebody starts complaining about mandatory vaccines or or I was at a Baptist board hospital meeting today and the doctors are all just amazingly upset that there's this new surge because so many people didn't get vaccinated. So you got both camps, both sides. Guess what? doesn't matter which side of the conversation. It still leads to God conversation. How? Recently, I was talking with somebody, and they were bringing up the vaccine and all that, and we were talking about it, and I talked practically about the issues. I engaged at a physical level, and then I transitioned it to a spiritual conversation. I said, man, it's amazing to me the power of this vaccine. It's amazing to me how this whole world is looking to a vaccine. And if this vaccine is going to protect us from death, it's a silver bullet. And I hope it is helpful. I hope it works like they tell us it's supposed to work. And I, I'm not against vaccines. As a matter of fact, I'll just tell you, I've had the vaccine. So it isn't about being for or against, but I'm going to use it for the gospel. But you know what is amazing? It doesn't matter whether you have the vaccine or you haven't had the vaccine. Guess what? Everybody's going to get sick at some point and everybody's going to die. Oh, that's not a very good conversation, preacher. Well, it can be. And I'll go on in the conversation. You know what's amazing to me is we're spending all this energy and all this time and the whole world has come to a standstill and been impacted by a virus and we're looking for everything to fix the virus and we want to know that we're safe from death and we'll take a vaccine or we'll do this or we'll drop a pill or we'll do some other stuff, whatever it is that you're looking to to protect you from that virus. But very few people are dealing with the real virus. What are you talking about? What do you mean the real virus? You know there's a virus more deadly than COVID? What are you talking about? The Bible says it's appointed unto every single one of us a day to die. We're all going to die, whether you've been vaccinated or haven't been vaccinated. But did you know that there's a way that you could never die? Now, that's a crazy conversation. That'll freak some people out. But did you see what we just did? We just went from a natural, everyday conversation to a Jesus conversation. Did I preach at them? Oh, I'm fitting to. I'm fitting to herald them. But I didn't preach at them. I didn't say, man, you're, you're so... You just listen to everything the CDC said, and we get in that argument, and you've already lost them. I ain't going in those weeds. I'll talk about some things to get to a bridge to get to the other side where I can take them to the vaccination of Jesus. You see how it goes? But I got to listen. I wait and I listen for somebody to bring that piece of conversation up and then I tack it, knowing that I'm going to go over the bridge to take them to the vaccine of Jesus. I use the context of a physical conversation to make it a spiritual conversation. And did you know that Jesus so loved you, he came to this earth to be the vaccine for your sin well that's weird yeah because if he didn't what would happen to those who don't have this vaccine that are vulnerable especially vulnerable populations they die guess what happens when you don't have a vaccine for your sin you die but you know what Jesus said he said it at a funeral he said all those who believe in me even though they die they will live they will live there is a vaccine that you can take and you will live forever. You'll never die. Isn't that cool? Tell me. What, what do you explain more? Now I get to.
preach the message. You get it? Are you getting there? Well, here's the last one. I close with this, and we're about out of time. The third lure is what we're going to give you in September. The Lord has blessed us with a great family. He happened to be here tonight. I didn't even invite them, but they're here tonight, and that's pretty cool. Josh, would you wave at everybody? This is the McClellan family. All the McClellans wave at us just so I know you wanted to do that. Isn't that cool? Josh is uh, doing some things in the life of our church that we'll be talking to you about in the days ahead. He and his family are here for a God-ordained purpose. But one of the things is Josh has a huge passion for apologetics and defending the faith. He is... uh, really mightily equipped and and gifted in being able to communicate truths to a lost world that wants to argue about things or wants answers to their questions. So today, I'm at Dr. Danner's, my dentist, the greatest dentist on the planet. I'm not just saying that because his in-laws are here, but he is. He's amazing. And as I arrive at the dental office, they lead me into one of the rooms, and one of his uh, assistants is waiting for me. Oh, great. This is going good already. She goes, i got to ask you a question. i got to ask you a question. She knew I was scheduled for that room. She's a young grandmother, and she said, can I just ask you a question? I'm like, oh, great. She's going to ask if I've been flossing. Don't ask. Why do you think I'm here? If I've been flossing, I wouldn't be here. Don't ask me the question. And she said, you know what? I was sharing about Christ with my little granddaughter. My kids aren't raising her up in the church and in the truth, and so I'm doing everything I can. And I was explaining to her that God created the earth and created her, and I was explaining all these things, trying to just plant seeds in this little girl, my little granddaughter's heart, and she asked me a question. Who created God? If you want to take out a communication card and write the answer in and submit it to me, I'd like to steal your answer. This grandma didn't know what to do with it. How do I help my daughter? It was an eye-opening moment for her. It was a validation of what we've talked about. Josh is going to take the next four Wednesday nights in September, and he's going to address the questions that people are asking today that the enemy is using to blind them to the Savior and give you some lures to be able to know how to engage that conversation and turn it into a heralding moment. You won't want to miss a single Wednesday night. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be awesome. And we all need to learn how to win people to Jesus. Here's been our problem. The church has been too busy trying to win the argument. And when you try to do that, when you try to argue, argue nobody has ever been argued into the kingdom. People have been heralded in the kingdom. They don't get saved because they hear the answer that you already know. They hear the word of God. So he's going to teach us how to address those questions appropriately to field those and minister in that moment and have a God conversation on the other end that points them to Christ. You won't want to miss it. So let's pray. You have prayer requests? Maybe not. Maybe they aren't printed out on the tables. I'm not seeing them. Let me give one that uh, Brother Palmer brought to us tonight and reminds us, and we should have already been here, praying for those who are in Afghanistan, obviously. Pray for those who are trying to get out of there with their lives. Pray for the church. There are many believers in Afghanistan that are trapped, that are on hit lists and being targeted. I know you're seeing all the emails that are getting sent out and all around. Uh, I'm going to give you a list that he gave, certain prayer requests. Pray for Afghans who are trying to leave the country. Pray that those helping and working hard to this task will be able to overcome obstacles as they facilitate exits and relocations. Pray for physical needs of those needing an entrance and an exit out of the country. 
Pray for favor and pathways for safety and relocation. And pray for countries to open their borders to allow these people in. Pray for those who will not be relocated, who will be left behind, and will face that persecution and those struggles. And as burdened as I am for those, it's horrific to see what we're seeing graphically in the news for Afghanistan. It ain't just happening in Afghanistan. It's happening in our own backyard. In a different way, we got it easier. I get it. It's real in Afghanistan right now, and we should elevate our prayers. But, folks, if we go to sleep on America, God help us. This is our mission field. I want us to pray for both Afghanistan and your mission field tonight. So pray with somebody around the table. Pray over each other. Maybe you want to mention somebody you're praying for, who your one is, somebody that you need to herald the message to. Pray for these things. Pray for Momentum Meets tomorrow night that we'll see men saved. Because Christ desires to seek and save the lost. Let's pray over these things and I'll close us in just a few minutes.